When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, guys. It's LD. TJ to the deuce and will the thrill with a small parental warning for this episode. So there are some subjects in this episode that are probably not appropriate for the little ears. We are going to use some harsh language and discuss things like drug use and drug addiction. Those sensitive to those topics may want to avoid this one and also cover up those little ears. There's a few other trigger warnings as well, such as abuse and suicide. So please guys, just take care listening to this episode. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2 the Deuce. Sounded a little. Uh, Sound like you're taking your pants off. <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> Which, if you are, you know that's fine. I mean, it's Sunday. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> and our storyteller, Mister Will the Thrill Hickey. I, I did like a presenter. I thought that was a very. Uh, oh, okay. That's a very good one. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Sorry, do you want me to go with it? Do you want me to go back? No, no, it's fine. very. That's very British. Which yeah, is what, what you said. And I've been ruminating on it. It's kind of interesting. But uh, so we don't have any anything to talk about except for um, twenty we, years of Whitney Houston. Yeah, we we uh, <laughs> we covered three years last week of Whitney Houston, and this year we're going to be covering twenty. So yeah. you know we're really good at pacing these things, guys. I, I had an arc, and it kind of went out the window. Uh, <laughs> we did watch a couple movies. Yeah. We, we did watch a couple of films that were um are, are streaming. We're going to watch uh the In the Heights movie tonight. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we just watched uh, The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. I like horror films, but you know it's not a, a terribly wonderful horror film if I fall asleep to it, and I did. Yeah. So that's but, that was our story for the week, guys. Thanks. Woo. I don't think we have any deaths to cover, correct? No I one? don't think we do. None that I've heard of, no. All right. Good, yeah. good week, then. That's good a, week. Then it's a good week for yeah. us. It, it's yeah. a good week when we don't have potential subjects for our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So here is a big one. And I got to admit, I have been putting this one off for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is just the sheer amount of content. I know we said this before during our uh, 72 part retrospective on David Bowie, that it's impossible to cover the entire life of the, these people. Yeah, it's I mean, just, we discovered that when we were yeah. doing the 168 part uh, uh, series on David Bowie, we discovered that. Yeah, so uh, I've tried my best to pick out the highlights, and in this case, the, the low lights. And that's part of the reason why I've been putting this off is because we're getting into a largely dark portion of Whitney Houston's life. I, I do think some of it, TJ, is going to border on Rick James' level of bonkers, but not, oh, wow. not quite get there. I still did she, did, is, did, she, did she poop out crack and then smoke it like Rick does? Or? No, no, no. Sadly, okay. there is crack involved, but not... Uh, not on that did level. she um did she do acid and uh, try to go to disney world with a member of the doors like no Rick? no okay no. so so really it's not quite as crazy as <laughs> no it's not quite as crazy it's still pretty bonkers yeah yeah there's gonna be some stuff and maybe some of you already know it and, and then this is where i think my job as a presenter is to again present the facts show you what's going on here and let you draw your own conclusions because i think many people of the current generation probably know more about this part of Whitney Houston's life than the one that we know. You know, growing up with her in the 80s and the 90s, her being an international superstar. I think, unfortunately, now the stigma is that of the reality shows and the, you know, in sure. Yeah, and all that. Sure. And I, I want to say uh, at the end of part four, we left off with the Bodyguard soundtrack with a, with a Bodyguard movie being released. Yes, sir. And the soundtrack being a, a mammoth smash, sold 45 million <laughs> copies. I will always love you. Ten week number one. I think that's about where we left off. It is, yes. And, and, and I'll say, and, un, and unfortunately, it feels like we're starting to go downhill from there. Yeah, we, we hit a zenith, and uh, we're going to come down from that zenith. It's going to be kind of like a roller coaster. The initial drop won't feel as big, but then the momentum picks up, and it just kind of carries through. Uh, and because, we also left, go ahead. No, I was going to say because thus far, um, the the biggest downer was, and then she put out her third album, and it only went quadruple platinum. I know, push all, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's literally the lowest low spot we've hit, and we obviously go down a considerable ways from there. So. Yes, indeed. And uh, we also left off with, of course, her marriage to Bobby Brown, which is going to be a large subject of this particular episode, and it's some that later have compared to the union of Greg Allman and Cher and John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Also, um, if you guys noticed what the picture was for our posting last week. I know that Whitney Houston's dress cost $40,000, mm -hmm. but holy crap, what was on her head? Oh, the wedding dress? That was so yeah. weird. Well, it's peculiar. It was... I think, uh, I would say, I think Bobby and Whitney were married a little longer than Greg and Cher were. Just um, a tad, yes. <laughs> then there, wasn't their union something like 72 hours or something? I actually think uh, that the winner for the, the shortest uh, wedding was actually Jason Alexander and Britney Spears. Did that actually, oh, that was right. You're right. Yeah, yeah it, it was did like, happen. It was like 24 hours. It was something yeah. like 17 hours. I don't think it, and, I don't think it. And not the star of Seinfeld, Jason no, Alexander. Yes, I do no, want to clarify that. The star of Seinfeld is just like a friend of hers from school named Jason Alexander. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Greg and all, Greg Allman and Cher were maybe a week, maybe. You ever, you ever heard uh, Greg looking back on his life and uh, advice for people? Uh, I want to say yes. I think this was what? lampooned in Family Guy. What one of what one of the things he said was, yeah, you know, I did a lot of drugs and married a chick named Cher. I don't recommend either one of them. Yeah, I don't recommend either of them. 
Well, we're going to get more into Whitney's union with Bobby Brown. And again, this is something I have, must admit, I've put off a bit. So I'm going to pay the price for my own procrastination here. And we are going to cover the final 20 years of Whitney Houston's life. Here we go. But let's revisit that that pinnacle for a minute. Let's, let's just sit in the sun for a while and enjoy the bodyguard, the music, the film that was so great, and how it was largely considered, shall we say, controversial due to the presence of a mixed-race couple, Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, which again, odd, considering the original script was written for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross. When asked about this particular aspect, Whitney Houston said it very succinctly, I don't think it's a milestone that a black person and a white person made a movie together. I think people view this as a colorblind milestone, but the black community sees it as something larger. Black women were telling me, this is something we've been waiting for someone to kick down the door to play those roles. So Whitney is gonna continue that. In March of 1993, Whitney Houston became a mother. Now, last week we discussed the unfortunate miscarriage that she suffered on the set of The Bodyguard. Um, she and Bobby would actually welcome their first and only child, a daughter named Bobby Christina Houston Brown on March 4th, 1993. One year after that, Whitney and Bobby released a duet together, and that's going to be the first song that we're going to share with you today. This one actually comes from one of Bobby Brown's albums, not Whitney's, but it is a duet with the two of them, and in many ways it's reflective of their relationship at that time. So here it is from 1993, Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston with Something in Common. Especially our love. Hey, yo, LA. Drop it on him, drop it on him, drop it on him.
Hello, early 90s. Yeah, that was absolutely time stamped as 1993. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. can only exist. Couldn't be anywhere else. Yeah. And it was, as TJ, you pointed out, this one is on the same album as Humpin' Around, uh, another classic, uh, from Bobby Brown's Remixes in the Key of B from 1993. Okay. Now, Whitney took some time off from performing and touring and doing all of her things to spend time with her daughter, Bobby Christina. However, she did return to performing in June of 93. So we're talking, you know, a few months, not a very long time, if you think about it. And yeah, this, like three, three months, I think. Three months, give or take, yeah. Yeah. And it was early June, mind you. So this is about the time when several rumors started to swell. One of them was actually perpetuated in a story that was retracted by the New York Post. Many people saw Whitney on stage and thought, she's so thin, she's so thin, how can this be? Well, they instantly assumed it was drugs. In fact, the story that the New York Post ran with was that she was ODing on diet pills, went to the hospital, but the whole story was squashed and the Post had to retract it or face a massive lawsuit. Um, which brings us to our, our fun fact, LD, that you know. Fun, fun fact. That uh, who founded the New York Post? That's Alexander Hamilton. It is Alexander Hamilton, founder of the New York Post. So these, this is just one of the many rumors that we're going to get into. And some of them may pan out, some of them may not. But really, the press just became ravenous over the next decade following Whitney Houston. This is also the point where those around her started to notice her voice was not quite what it used to be. The high notes were a little strained. The quality was a little iffy. She would crack here and there. So it's starting to unravel, but, but not quite yet. Because in 1994, Whitney still had an incredible year. In 1994, at the NAACP Image Awards, Whitney Houston won an Entertainer of the Year, along with awards for Outstanding Music Video and Outstanding Female Artist. In addition, she took home five, count them, five more AMAs. So she's still cleaning up. And when she accepted her AMA, many people remember this, she went to the stage with Bobby Christina in her arms and she was weeping, she was happy, collecting your voice. So still a very, very high note for, for Whitney Houston. She even earned a Brit Award and another series of Soul Train Awards, which takes us well into the middle of 1994, where her film career is gonna start to go to the next level. Now, if you remember, I mentioned this last week, she was contracted to do a made-for-TV remake of Cinderella. That's still coming down the pike, but all of this is going to be preempted by a film I think many people know, and that is Waiting to Exhale. LD, you know this one? I love mm -hmm. this movie so much. <laughs> yes. Well, yep, and the song is awesome. Oh, we're, we are going to play the song, by the okay, way. Okay, I didn't want we, to Omaha No, you, you know, it's right there. Okay. I put it on there. Okay. Uh, Whitney Houston was actually selected to do the starring role in the film. And in many ways, I think you'll find this is the case, LD. This film was almost a precursor to what Black Panther was for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Black Panther, as many know, featured an all-Black cast, all-Black crew. And this film was also an all-Black cast and an all-Black team. The director was Forrest Whitaker. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize he directed it. He that. directed it. Huh. And Whitney Houston starred alongside great names. We have Loretta Devine. Layla Roshan, and one of my personal favorites, Angela Bassett. Yeah. Who uh, was also in Black Panther. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Eat the cake anime. <laughs>
But yeah, Angela I do Bassett. believe she just sets the car on fire while walking away. Yes, from she it, does. And I'm okay with that. Oh that is a man, gift that that is, that is a gift that keeps on giving. Now this is the song that we have to play, or, or else or GIF that keeps GIF, on. GIF, GIF, is it GIF, GIF now? I don't know what it is. I feel like it changes every week. Whatever. Now many of you may have heard this song, but as LB pointed out, it is worth playing. The title song for the film "Exhale Shoop Shoop" was actually written by Babyface and released as a single in 1995. It went to number one in the U.S. and debuted at number 11 in Britain. And with this single, Whitney was put yet again into a very distinct pantheon of musicians, uh, as far as number one releases. She was actually tied at this point with Madonna, who had 11. The Supremes had 12. Elvis Presley had 17. And the Beatles were the record holders with 20. So she's now up in that league. Yeah. Not a bad place to be. Well, it's because she's insanely talented. Just, yeah, maddeningly talented. Just absolutely nuts. So let's let the song do the talking here. We are going with the title track from Waiting to Exhale. This is from the 1985 film, Exhale, Shoop Shoop. Everyone falls in love sometimes. Sometimes it's wrong and sometimes it's right. For every win, someone must fail. But there comes a point when, when we exhale, yeah, yeah. Say, shoot, 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 All you gotta do is say, shoot, Shoot. 
Brad. All right. I love that song and I love that movie. It's Thanks. a really, yeah, it's a, it's a really good song. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Will and LD, that's about the last hit of Whitney's that I remember there being. Well, there are a few other things that are going to pop up. I, I think because there is the soundtrack for The Preacher's Wife, which is going to come up in a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, nothing is going to hit the level of The Bodyguard, though. We've, sure. we've gone, we've gone over that hill. Sure, uh, but that's, that's one of the last big ones that I actually remember. Oh, yeah. To be honest with you. And it's a memorable song. And let's not forget that soundtrack was just stacked. I mean, it was Whitney, Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle, Tony Braxton, Shaka Khan. I mean, that whole soundtrack is just it's dynamite. Here's the thing. Tony Braxton should definitely Braxton. work more than like she should have more than she has. She is an incredible vocalist. She is insane. And even if she has like 30 Grammys, give her 50. That yeah. woman is incredible. She's fantastic. Some other songs on the soundtrack included the single for Count Me In, which was actually a duet with her wedding attendant and famed gospel singer, Cece Winans. Another one was Hurts So Bad. That soundtrack would actually win Best Album of the Year at the NAACP Awards. And that song, Exhale Shoop Shoop, took home Song of the Year. The film was released for the holiday season in 1995. It was largely marketed as a romantic comedy for the most part. But it overlooked that it was really marketed towards a Black audience and Black women. And that sort of springboards off the comment that Whitney made earlier, that she was sort of kicking down the door and paving the way for these types of roles and these types of films. And in many ways, the reception that this film got was similar to The Bodyguard, but it had some, some more additives to it, namely by my favorite film critic and unabashed fan of Whitney Houston as a performer, Roger Ebert who continued to write positive things about her, and he wrote this one in the Chicago Sun-Times. These are not real women so much as fictional creations carefully designed to embody dreams and desires. Many women in the audience would be happy to be like any of them. This movie works. I was never bored. The film's patron saint could be Mae West, who wanted more men in her life and more life in her men. It's a great Mae West illusion there. Yep. For this to be a music podcast, Roger Ebert comes up an outsized number of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting because reading all the criticisms about Whitney, especially in her, her acting roles, it was all the same. It was like, she looks great. She's a wonderful singer. Her performance is, yeah. You know, Roger Ebert brought something else to the table and he was a fan of hers. Yeah. He will be for her but entire He, he seems to have come up an odd number of times <laughs> in, in, in the last year because he was... Um, he was in the John Prine episode. I know I remember. And it seemed mm-hmm. like maybe he popped up in the Bowie episode at some point. That would, that would track. And I think also in the Adam Yauk episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a, I, I think you're right. It's, it's just, that's that's an odd. I mean, there are a few standard bears who come up every week. I'm not going to, you know, I, sure. I assume you have one written in. I'm not going to say it. But <laughs> there's, there's, they, he shows up an odd number of times to be a film critic for us doing a music podcast uh guys ladies and gentlemen we have a late edition breaking news breaking news oh no actor ned Beatty has passed away what oh whoa as we're recording here on um on sunday evening oh that's terrible my wife has never seen deliverance Oh, wow. I, no, I've never seen Deliverance. 
He's curious. Oh, oh, you've never seen you've never seen Deliverance. Yeah, no, because surprise. Because Jeff Foxworthy said something about if uh, if Ned Beatty can't do it, there's no way I can. Huh. He was talking about going through the 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 river and Deliverance or something. Well, well, first of all, he was a, he was a really good actor, and he he was he did a lot more than Deliverance. But oh, sure. um, but you should you you really should see Deliverance. Well, he was in Superman. <laughs> he was. He's oh, he was in a ton of stuff. I bet, I bet if you started reading off his credits, I bet it would take us an hour. Oh, he's geez. been in he's been in a million movies and tv shows he's great and everything i've ever seen him in but you really need to see deliverance if you haven't seen it because that is the most disturbing thing i've ever seen in my life it's pretty uh pretty frightening it's it's i mean it's turned into this pop culture it's almost it's almost a, a throwaway joke now but it's like yeah if you actually watch it it's really disturbing and it think, really is. I think the pop culture references are almost trying to take the sting out of it. Because when you see it, it's it's raw. Oh my it's, gosh, he was oh. also in *Repossessed*, which was a, a which was the uh, like spoof movie starring Leslie Nielsen and oh, Linda right. Blair. Yeah, there there was um the the kid that played the banjo in *Deliverance*. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the thrills that you've actually seen it, I presume, and LD oh. hasn't. He was actually interviewed about how accurate the movie was because I think I think that he was actually from the swamps down of, in georgia and florida and uh he said well it was uh it was actually it was pretty on on the money i mean except except for the corn holing <laughs> it's going like it is i guess well that's uh sorry sorry to interrupt yeah. this but he is not he's not a musician but no. you know no but he's a beloved he's a beloved actor and oh, and, 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 yeah. and again and great in everything he's ever been in that i've ever seen yeah. absolutely yeah and just jumping back to the point about you know roger ebert and bringing in people you know who or in the film world, I think when you have a heavy hit, heavy hitter, that's bound to happen because they often go outside of the world of music. They go into film, they go into television. You know, Bowie did, well, virtually everything. So to have Roger Eber comment on them, I think in this type of series is going to be more common. Sure. Yeah. So, 95. Good year so far. However, there were rumors circulating that Bobby and Whitney were splitting up. Huh. So... Let's just slash, let's flash over to Bobby Brown and see what he was up to in the early 90s. Well, he did release the single, TJ, as you put it, Humping Around, and actually came out in July of 92 before the album. The working title of the song wasn't quite so radio friendly. Can, oh, I, can I leave it at that? I can't. Imagine. Was it uh, was it Dancing Days? Because that's what uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, and when you pointed that out, it's all I could is hear. It, 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 it's, it, it is. It is if you've if you've ever if you've never listened to it, go listen to Humping Around, mm-hmm. and I think we can all figure out what the working title was. <laughs> um, yeah, the not radio friendly one, and then go listen to Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Will the thrill? I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short break for our sponsors, and we will be right back. And we are back. All right, let's get back to Whitney Houston. Now, it's interesting because that song was, and that album was produced by L.A. Reid and Babyface. Mm-hmm. So it was a similar team that Whitney had worked with, or was working with. And it was actually recorded in, like I said, 1990. It came out in 93, and it actually went to number three on the Billboard Hot 100, so it was well-received. In April of 1992, Bobby is pulled over in Whitney's Porsche, driving without insurance. This is one of his more minor offenses. 
Two years later, he's arrested for attacking somebody in an Orlando nightclub. Great. One year after that, he's charged with a misdemeanor when he, quote, kicked a security guard at a friend's party in West Hollywood. This all came to a head in 95 in a situation involving a real-life bodyguard, where Brown's bodyguard, Stephen Seeley, was murdered outside a bar in Roxbury, according to... Oh, wow. Yeah. He and Brown were leaving the bar. An unidentified assailant just runs up and opens fire on them. Stephen Seeley is dead. Now, I'm sure this led to a lot of questions from Whitney about the man she married and what happened was essentially a trial separation. The supposition was that Bobby's behavior was a bit dangerous. They had a family. You know, they're going to see how this is going to go. Also, there were sources that, well, while Bobby Brown was on tour, uh, let's just say the term humping around is quite oh, quite appropriate. Okay. Uh, yeah. He was not known for being faithful to Whitney Houston. Nonetheless, she stood by him, even when in 1995, Bobby Brown was pulled over for a DUI in Atlanta. And at the time of the arrest, there was an unnamed woman in the car. Wasn't Whitney Houston, I can tell you that. Uh, But that arrest was actually one that would particularly, that would have repercussions for years to come because it involves parole terms and bail. And we're going to get into that. When Whitney would respond to questions in the press about Bobby's bad behavior, her responses would differ. In some cases, she would say things that were ostensibly, it's none of your business, our problems are our own. She was trying to keep up this public image, but the good girl image was getting tarnished real fast. And in one case, she actually said, I don't take much S-word as I used to. If that makes me a bitch, then so be it. If the shoe fits, wear it. I love that you, you bleeped out the s word and then just called her a bitch okay well i could probably no this is her quote i'm reading her quote there's one thing i want to one thing i want to throw in real quick uh will thrill yeah last week i said there was a definitive moment when her the 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 wholesome america sweetheart girl next door image of whitney <laughs> was dinged in my mind and then we we never actually got to it probably because i was drinking but i forgot I'll tell you when it was. There was a a certain point. I'm sure we could Google it and figure out exactly when it was. When she was interviewed by Playboy. Mm -hmm. And you did, you know, you always had the the Playboy interview because, of course, I I only looked at it for the the articles. As one does. Um, Right. It was the centerpiece interview where they had the, like, three pictures of the person and, you know, with their faces, you know, with different expressions and gestures and stuff. But it was the lengthy interview. And I actually read some of it. And, like, her language was filthy. (laughs) And I don't remember exactly what year this was, probably early 90s, but she's dropping F-bombs and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't think Whitney talked that way. Yeah, but that's, about, that's really about when I was like, oh, you know, maybe she's actually a, you know, a real person and not this Barbie doll that I've envisioned her as being. Yeah, it really started actually a few years prior. There were some interviews she gave, particularly when folks would ask about her sexuality and she would say, it's none of your effing business. Uh, so that was actually even before that Playboy interview that she did. Now, I can certainly see where you're coming from. And in fact, many close to Whitney said that whole thing was a bad idea. Because if you remember, they were against her doing the song um, Saving All My Love For You because of the subject matter. So for her to do a, a piece of Playboy was definitely not, you know, sanctioned by the... Right. I think you know. I think kind of what... Okay, this might not be like the greatest analogy, but I feel like Whitney suffers from the Disney kid syndrome i could see that you know squeaky clean yeah you know. like you know like 
look at like people like Brittany, who's mm-hmm. had some issues in the past and, you know, the, the Miley that goes, you know, full nude on a wrecking ball and, and stuff like that. So they try to like break through with, they like to separate themselves from what they were when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And they feel like the only way they can do that is, you know, dressing wildly, cursing and that like, you know, they, there, there are ways that people try to break out of that mold. And then there are some people that are trying to keep that mold together, but what's happening inside is kind of breaking out of its own. Yeah. And well, one thing we can say about Bobby Brown is he's pretty consistent throughout this whole thing, um, mm. as we will, as we will highlight in the, the months and years ahead. So after the success of Waiting to Exhale, Whitney was offered another role in The Preacher's Wife. Now, this was adapted from the original film from 1947, The Bishop's Wife, starring Cary Grant. And the cast included Denzel Washington, Loretta Devine, Courtney B. Vance. Hey, I love Courtney B. Vance. The late Gregory Hines. Again, great talent there. And of course, Whitney Houston. The film was directed by none other than the late, great Penny Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Laverne. Love it. She was Laverne. She directed Big, A League of Their Own, and we sadly lost her in 2018. The Preacher's Wife was released in December of 1996, just five months after Bobby Brown totals Whitney's car. He's driving in Florida. He totally wrecks the Porsche. The interesting thing is that the police didn't document his level of sobriety. So for some reason, that was left out of the report. Yeah, very, very strange. Uh, nonetheless, The Preacher's Wife grossed over $48 million in the U.S., and Roger Ebert raves about it. His review of The Preacher's Wife is, it is a sweet and good-hearted comedy about the holiday season. I find myself enjoying it for the simple and real pleasures for Denzel Washington and the way Whitney Houston sings. He's just a big Whitney fan. I love it. So much fun to hear. Now, the soundtrack was the centerpiece. The interesting thing about this soundtrack is it was actually marketed as a gospel record and actually achieved some fame as a gospel album. But it does include several elements that are outside the sphere of gospel, including the song written by none other than Annie Lennox, Step by Step. Yeah, it was performed by Whitney, but Annie Lennox actually wrote it. Several of the gospel songs that we heard on the album were were with Whitney Houston backed by the Georgia Mass Choir, which included I Love the Lord, Hold On, Help Is On The Way, and I Go To The Rock. And it was at Whitney's behest, there was also another duet with her husband, Bobby, that was was entitled Somebody Bigger Than You and I. The soundtrack for The Preacher's Wife peaked at number three on Billboard, sold over five million copies, which made it, at that time, the most successful gospel record. Wow. Yeah. And some say it was unfairly categorized as gospel because there are gospel songs, but there's pop and there's other stuff too, but... Nonetheless, it held the title. What did Bobby do that year? Well, he got into another fight in Orlando, Florida. He was facing assault and battery charges. By February of 1997, Whitney had won multiple NAACP Image Awards, including Outstanding Album and Actress for The Preacher's Wife. Bobby went into litigation surrounding the bankruptcy of his studio, Boss Town, which was headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where he made the majority of his records. It was a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and Whitney was actually pegged with floating the bill for $200,000, What? which was allegedly equipment part of the studio that Bobby, quote, just couldn't 
pay for. Also bear in mind at this point, he's sort of circumventing child support cases. If you'll recall, he had three children with two different women prior to marrying Whitney. And he's sort of in and out dealing with that. Wow, but he should have had so much money. You think, but he's going broke. From, from, we're going to find out from the um, Don't Be Cruel album, which was a huge mammoth smash that sold millions and millions of copies. The one after that was very successful and money from touring and stuff. And it's like, he doesn't have 200 grand to pay for yeah. equipment. That's wow. What are you so, spending your money on? Well, we're going to find out. And it's one of those ah, pieces where okay. you can't fill a bathtub if you keep the drain open. And that's exactly I guess. What's sadly going to happen to the both of them. 1997. I again. have never heard that saying. You've never heard that? No, yeah. I really, okay, but what if you plug it up with soap? Well, soap would be a temporary solution because the soap will break down, but it's probably better than nothing. You have a lot of soap, just saying. I, I have a lot of you soap. You have a lot of soap. <laughs> 1997 was another, again, peak for Whitney, and it would quickly turn into a valley. Now, this is where the downward spiral begins that really consumes the rest of her life. So from 1997 on, we're going to see things getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. The first case was actually in July of that year. While Whitney and Bobby were vacationing on a yacht in Europe, Whitney was brought to a local hospital with a cut on her cheek. Required several stitches. Whitney's claim and Bobby's claim was that it occurred during a swimming accident. However, the crew of the yacht said that both Whitney and Bobby were on board at that time. There was no way they could have been in the water and they had overheard arguments. So we don't know, again, This is what the story says. I'm going to give you what I found in the research. You decide. In October of that year, Whitney actually performed a live studio concert for HBO. And this is where the question started to come up, which would become all too pervasive in the years ahead. Is Whitney high? Many people who witnessed this live concert said that she was straining to sing her songs and looked like she was stoned. There was also rumors circulating about her relationship with Bobby, that domestically it was going off the rails. She actually had an infamous no-show on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I don't know if you remember this, but in the mid-90s, Rosie O'Donnell was going after Whitney left and right, constantly. Well, the reason for that was she was actually scheduled to appear on the show. She bailed at the last minute claiming she was sick. That might have been palatable, except for the fact that that same day, Whitney and Bobby both appeared on Letterman together. Yeah. Yeah. So Rosie just had a field day. The tabloids had a field day. And at this point, Whitney was scheduled to do that Cinderella remake, as we mentioned before. The problem was she was becoming a liability. According to the crew, Whitney missed a lot of the rehearsals and actually pushed the entire schedule back a full week, which for a television show is ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Some attributed this to spending time with Bobby. They said she was doing a lot of, quote, late night partying. She looked, quote, terrible. In fact, they were very concerned about her weight at this point. And again, her voice was shot. Whitney started backing out of engagements more and more at the last minute. One included a November concert in 1997 at RFK Stadium. Of course, TJ, you know that one. Two yep. years later, she actually bailed out at a show in California last minute, and that led to a lawsuit of up to $100,000 for damages. All the while, Bobby is still having legal troubles. He has another DUI and battery charge, which were two separate incidences from 1998. Bobby was actually in and out of police custody. He posted bail, correction, Whitney posted the bail somewhere in the ballpark of $15,000. Wow. 
Well, what a but what what an absolute tragedy that you're getting to the point with her that she can't sing. Yeah, because you know this is this this very much harkens back to a couple of months ago when we did our Eddie Van Halen series, mm-hmm. and there was the the last show that they played with Sammy in that that very ill fated reunion in '05, yeah. where Eddie was so messed up he could like they they had the the crew turned him down. Yeah. Where you could so that the crowd couldn't hear how badly he was playing, Ugh. and it's the same deal. It's like you you have somebody who has such a gift, who is such a I mean just otherworldly talent that but most of us can only dream of, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, and and probably in both cases, I think we know why. That it's just they can't use it anymore, and it's just yeah. it's really sad. Yeah, it's their it's their livelihood. I know people talk about celebrities and athletes getting oh they get so much money they get this that and the other thing. And then we see what happens when that one thing is taken from them. It's yeah, but if we get if you get to the point where like Eddie couldn't play guitar and Whitney can't sing, yeah, I mean that's I mean it's, sad. it's really sad. It is. It is sad. Now you had mentioned TJ that her previous album, which was "I'm Your Baby Tonight," sounded a little edgier, kind of a little harder, you know? Right. It did. And that's certainly going to continue in her fourth outing, which is "My Love Is Your Love." Now that album comes out in 1998. The backdrop of this album is everything I just covered. Bobby's legal troubles. It's fairly common knowledge that he is with other women. And well, and yeah. I, I want to point point something out. It's been eight years since she put a solo album out. Oh yeah, it's been a while. I mean, now she did the, the Bodyguard soundtrack and mm-hmm. and the the Preacher's Wife soundtrack, and there were a couple of soundtracks, but that, those are other people are contributing. She hasn't put an album out since like 1990 at this point. Yes, that is correct. Wow. Yeah. And she's still working with Arista, which is at this point really L.A. Reid and Babyface. And this right. album is much edgier, much edgier. In fact, a lot of it, they say, is biographical of everything Whitney was going through. So I'm going to highlight one particular song where if you listen to the lyrics, it's really not hard to read between the lines. So this one is from My Love Is Your Love from 1998. The one I selected is It's Not Right, But It's Okay.
right, we are back. And what I was saying while we were uh, listening to the music there is I didn't really listen to the lyrics when the song first came out. I was like, oh, it's a snappy kind of song. You know, like you said, it's very much emblematic of its time. But if you listen to those lyrics, it's pretty on the nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I it is, and then and and we were also noting as it played, it's a it's a really good song, and I like it. But um, oh, yeah. there's not there's not a lot of notes she has to reach for there. Correct. Yeah, which yeah, apparently by this time was was becoming an issue. But absolutely. So she was still getting through the songs, but as LD pointed out, she's not hitting those high notes anymore. It's not yeah, I right. will always love you. It's not I'm every woman. You know, we're we're getting away from that. Uh, the album was labeled as inconsistent so we mentioned the previous one was a disappointment well this was even more of a disappointment actually this album failed to hit top 10 in any country where it was released including those where she was traditionally successful those in europe and australia and all those places but didn't even hit top 10 she did have a a song that crept up to number two on the u.s charts which is actually heartbreak hotel not to be confused with the elvis Presley song it is not the Elvis. This was song. actually written by May Axton. Correct. So not yeah. the same. But not the same song. So by the time the year 2000 comes around, Whitney would sell over 110 million albums. Woo. Yeah. So from 1985 to 2000, 110 million. Her last performance of the decade and of the millennia would actually take place in April at the VH1 Divas Live special. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it included. Tina Turner, Brandy, Mary J. Blige, and of course a famous duet with Shaka Khan on I'm Every Woman. So I don't know if you recalled that. I wanted to bring up this performance in particular because this is sort of the last, you know, glean on Whitney's career. Yes, she does do some things following this, but really as far as award show goes and stage presence and her ability to sing through all the songs, this is where it ends from here on out it's not going to be as prevalent. In fact, we wouldn't even be two weeks into the new millennia when, you guessed it, more legal troubles, but this time, it's not Bobby. Whitney Houston was scheduled to return from vacation in Hawaii. She was flying from Hawaii to San Francisco. The security offers inspecting her luggage found a Ziploc bag containing roughly 15 grams of marijuana. Now, according to law, They can't actually arrest you for that. That's not an arrestable offense. They could, however, issue you a fine and a citation. Whatever the case, Whitney wasn't going to wait around to find out. So she just leaves. She just gets gets on the plane and gets out of Dodge, leaving an open warrant for her in the state of Hawaii, which meant that she could no longer perform there. But it also brought out the media tenfold she was just a lightning rod at this point and this is where the big shift happens from them actually talking about her career and her talent to is she high is she on drugs and a lot of jokes about marijuana which were you know on tv and rosie o'donnell was certainly pitching in on that a striking blow would take place in march of 2000 where whitney was actually scheduled to present her mentor and producer clive davis as the latest inductee to the rock and roll hall of fame she was a no-show. Uh, yeah. Seriously? Oh. She was a no-show. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a big one to miss. Yeah. Yeah, that's like missing your dad's funeral. Oh. Okay. All right. Hold that one. Yeah, that's really... Yeah, but that's... For a guy who... I mean, she made her own career. Her talent did. Yeah. But 
like this, it's, if it's a big moment for Clive, mm-hmm. as much as he poured into her career, as much as yeah. he means to the music industry in general, and if he asked you to present him and you didn't show up, yeah, mm, mm, that's bad. It's it's her professional and personal relationships are just reaching a breaking point at this point, and she has a massive falling out with Robin Crawford in two thousand. But the biggest, biggest debacle, in my opinion, is going to take place in March of 2000 for the Academy Awards. The musical director was actually Burt Baccarat, who, as we all know, was working with Dionne Warwick, her cousin. Yep. And he wanted to bring in top talent, of course, to perform songs from the nominated films, which included Dionne Warwick, Queen Latifah, Garth Brooks, remember that? Yes. Ray Charles, Isaac Hayes, and of course, Whitney Houston. The song, one of the songs selected for Whitney was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I'm, a song we all know fairly well, correct? Sure. Well, when Whitney arrived at the Shrine Auditorium, she was described as being, quote, out of it. She was pacing backstage. She was talking to herself. She was sweating profusely, and she was twitching. With her was her husband, Bobby Brown. During the initial warm-ups and rehearsals, Whitney's voice was cracking. She also couldn't find the melody to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Wow. Some speculated she'd been out partying with Bobby the previous night. Burt Baccarat said, okay, okay, it's probably just nerves. You know, let's let's try another song. Well, she botched that one too. Only this time she was hopping around on the stage, not doing any of the lyrics and just kind of darting around and moving erratically. Wow. So they go back to Somewhere Over the Rainbow and she forgets the lyrics and starts singing another song altogether. Mm -hmm. At this point, Baccarat pulls the plug. It was allegedly Burt Baccarat himself who called the producers and had her escorted from the stage in tears. She was pulled from the performance. One of her fellow contemporaries who was there, Garth Brooks, actually issued the following statement. When People Magazine asked him about this incident, this is what Garth said. I can only say this about Whitney. She came in, she rehearsed, and she did her best, but she was very sick, so we'll leave it at that. Mm. That was from Garth. So the rumors are flying like crazy at this point. She had another botched performance at the 25th anniversary party for Arista Records. People around her said she was drunk, possibly high, maybe both. And at this point, they were actually concerned for her safety because during that performance, she was, quote, falling over while on stage. So at this point, we're just going to recap a little bit. She's completely botched the Oscar performance. In fact, she was asked to leave by the musical director. She's embarrassing herself at these parties for Arista Records. In fact, she did a very questionable version of My Love is Your Love, which involved bringing her husband Bobby onto the stage who clearly didn't know the song. To this, Clive Davis simply responded with, I'm not going to talk about personal matters. She proved tonight she can still soar. That was his comment. And again, the press only wants to know, is Whitney high? Is she drunk? And she's denying any and all allegations. This is the time when family and friends step in. They start actually staging a series of interventions. One of them was with the Queen of Soul herself, Aretha Franklin. I don't know about you. Oh, wow. Aretha oh. asked me to stop doing anything. I would stop it. Yeah. I, I think I, I think you probably stop at that point. Yeah. You do. You stop. Both her mother, Sissy, and Robin Crawford confronted Whitney, along with the following: Dionne Warwick, Clive Davis, and Natalie Cole. Mm. Remember, Natalie Cole had a battle with substances. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. She sure did. And then she thought she could bring some advice. Unfortunately, none of it took. Even Whitney's own father, John, confronted her. Because remember, he's still her manager at this point. So he knows, A, her career's in danger, but more importantly, my daughter is in danger. So he's stepping in. Now, keep in mind that there is a shakeup at this point with Arista Records. Whitney is reaching the end of her tenure there. 
Clive Davis is actually asked to leave. The company is purchased by BMG. Remember that wonderful music program they launched? Oh my yeah, gosh. I think the, I still the, owe them money. They pay a penny mm -hmm. and then... The, right, se se 1,758 CDs for mm -hmm. two and a half cents. Yes. Correct. Well, they apparently have an unofficial no executives over 60 policy. Hey, that's illegal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's super illegal. <laughs> so when they purchased Arista Records around 2000, Clive was unceremoniously asked to leave. Who the hell asks Clive Davis to stop producing stuff? A dick. I mean, <laughs> who, who, I, I, somebody who doesn't want to succeed, I would, I would presume. Jeez. As a undeniable smokescreen tactic, Arista released a two-disc greatest hits record of Whitney Houston in 2000, which was really just to say, hey, let's sell stuff, let's sell stuff. It's kind of a cash-in-while-we-still-can policy. So who remembers what happened to Bobby Brown in 1996? Remember how he got into little trouble there? Well, in 2000, he gets in trouble again for violating the terms of that parole from that Atlanta incident, only this time the judge says, no, 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 Whitney, we won't take your check for bail. Bobby's going to jail. Good. Which he would for 75 days in Atlanta, Georgia. I did not, now, I, I did not remember that. Yep, he, he violated the parole terms from his 1996 violation, so the judge in Atlanta was like, no, you can't get bail this time. No, no, no. So uh, I think we all forgot, and we need to ask the question, what's going on with their daughter at this point? Because think about all this happening. We haven't talked about Bobby Christina. Well, during these interventions, it was alleged that Sissy and John were hatching a plan to actually assume custody of Bobby Christina in fear that both parents would be declared unfit. They also tried to get Whitney to divorce Bobby. Sissy called him in an interview with the star. This is a direct quote, the devil incarnate. Quote, Whitney never had these problems until she married that man. Now, when you say that man, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, even when you don't want his mm -hmm. name in your mouth, you know that's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Sissy continues the quote, I warned her about him until I was blue in the face, but she doesn't listen. She loves him. What can I do? Well, needless to say, Whitney's substance abuse questions were still circling. While the couple was staying at a hotel in Greensboro, North Carolina, with Bobby's other three children, again, from previous relationships, the hotel staff found the following evidence in their hotel room. Cocaine bags, spoons, baking soda. You can do the math on that. Reports came from Whitney's neighbors in New Jersey that there were loud parties all the time. Her behavior was erratic. And then Uncle Rob came forth, first to the Inquirer, but there is going to be something later that adds dimension to this. Uncle Rob was a gentleman who claimed to be a drug dealer for Whitney and Bobby. In a statement, he said that the couple paid up to $750,000 in the last 10 years. So uh, a three-day weekend for Waylon Jennings. <laughs> They estimated the value or, or, Rick, or Rick Jackson. Yes, to be somewhere between $1,000 and $2,500 per week. Mm. Per week. So you had asked, where's the money going? I think we have an unfortunate. That's, a, that's certainly a big, a big, a considerable chunk of it. Yeah. Yeah. When it came time in that year to celebrate Whitney's father's birthday, John turns 80. Whitney and Bobby didn't show up until one o'clock in the morning, completely out of it. Jeez. Yep. 
some say what was happening was clear. Now, again, we don't know what was going on behind closed doors, but what we do know is that Whitney's health was clearly in decline. And there were multiple, shall we call them accounts of Bobby Brown overdosing and his entourage had a protocol for this. So those close to Bobby said that they sort of knew what to do when Bobby would have too much, including stripping him down and throwing him in a tub full of ice. A very infamous conflict happened on Christmas or around Christmas of 2000. They were at a star-studded event at the Bahamas, which I believe reading his book, Michael Jackson was, I'm sorry, Michael J. Fox was in attendance with Keith Richards. <laughs> I, I really think that's the case. I, I'm going to go back to that. But there's three people that have never been in my it, kitchen. Yeah, exactly. And may never. In fact, Michael J. Fox's joke was, uh, Keith Richards looks better than I feel, which is quite hilarious. <laughs> um, but back to Whitney here. While in this event at the Bahamas, Bobby was talking to a singer named Emma Bunton. A baby spice. So baby spice. Apparently, Whitney did not feel comfortable with their discourse and believed Bobby was getting too friendly, so she confronted Bobby. An argument ensued, at which point Bobby grabbed Whitney by the throat in public. Mm. Whitney responded by grabbing an ashtray and hitting him over the head, causing him to go to the hospital and get several stitches. Now, both Bobby and Whitney are being shunned by the celebrity community. In fact, Magic Johnson personally threw Bobby Brown out of a party for him. <laughs> yes, personally had him escorted out concert promoters were starting to pull back because they felt like she was unreliable there was no way they could book her they had no guarantee she was going to show up whitney hadn't had a hit in years remember her last album was far from successful the money was going to other places and yet in a completely baffling move la reed who was at this point in charge of arista records gives whitney a 100 million dollar contract that's right in 2000, Whitney signed a $100 million contract with an advance of $25 million with Arista Records. Jeez. The deal was allegedly inked in August, just after all these reports came in of Bobby and Whitney going to parties, Bobby was admitted to the emergency room for a cocaine overdose, and one insider after the fact actually claimed that they, were, they wired Whitney $32 million for the advance to save their house. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. It's getting bad. That same house was considered a drug den. Inside sources came out later to say that if you were part of the staff, you were actually trained to hide and dispose of drug paraphernalia. There was a procedure for this. Bobby was in and out of the hospital. It was not uncommon for 911 calls to be placed in the wee hours from that house, involving everything from disputes to uh, people getting sick. Um, it was just utterly, utterly crazy. In September of that year, there was a gala, a gala for one of Whitney's close friends, Michael Jackson, where she appeared and unfortunately would embarrass herself. Whitney's voice was completely shot, and the reports say she looked so thin it was scary. And at this point, both the New York Post and MTV had compiled pieces. MTV had a ready-to-go montage in the case of Whitney's death. They were basically keeping it prepped. Wow. Yeah, because they were convinced she was destroying herself. Jeez. Oh, boy. But in 2002, to follow up on that contract with Arista, Whitney started her next album, but she brought in a new producer, Bobby Brown. Oh, God, why? Yeah. I'm sure that went well. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the comment about Eddie, TJ, because one of the things during the sessions that Bobby would say is, oh, the, the equipment's not working. We're having trouble with this. We're having trouble with that. He later confessed it was because he didn't have the heart to tell her how bad she sounded. 
Mm. We're going to pull a track from that album, ladies and gentlemen. In July of 2002, the Just Whitney album was released. The first single off that album was, this is one word, mind you, and it's pretty, pretty Jersey, What You Looking At. And that's the one we're going with. departure from whitney's normal material i'd say tremendously so and and as we were saying during the break there it's it's not a bad song no no it isn't it's not a bad song at all Mm -hmm. but what what i was noting was almost anybody could deliver vocally what she does in that song Mm. 
there's nothing special about the vocals. What always shined about her and pop was that voice. Yeah. And again, it's a catchy little song. I mean, it's, it's a well-produced, well-crafted little yeah. song, but it's, I mean, you, you know, LD, you could have sung that. Hey. <laughs> you well, could I, No, I mean that with, with, with auto-tuning and because none of us can really sing. You can well, sing the best yeah. of three of us, but, oh, thank but, you. but with a little, with a little pitch correction and auto-tuning and stuff, all, almost anybody could have done that. Well, again, if you look that, at that's the, not, there's nothing about the thing that always shined about her was that voice that you would just, you would just hear her rip one of those notes and you're like, Oh yes. <laughs> oh, the voice, there it is. And it's just, it's gone. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing special vocally about that song, even though it is a good song. Yeah. Well, when the album just Whitney was released, one critique sort of summed it up. They called it just awful. The song barely cracked the top 100. I think it came in at 97 or 98, which again is a Ooh. big drop from where Whitney normally lives on the charts. This reviewer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said, the biggest misstep on the album is the defensive, what you looking at? If the jittery, bone-thin Houston still needs to ask what we're looking at, she obviously hasn't looked in the mirror lately. Yikes. Ouch. Yeah. And in the last two years, more internal strife here, Whitney's now former manager, her father, was putting together a lawsuit. Now, you have to look at this from two angles. This seems like a very weird move. We're going to go a little bit deeper into what was going on with the business at this point. So bear in mind that Whitney sort of cut a lot of people out of her life. Uh, in fact, those still working for her, she allegedly cut their salaries in half overnight. Uh, John was sort of stepping out of the management role at this point due to creative differences. He brought in a partner named Kevin Skinner. Now, here's the interesting thing about Kevin Skinner. We mentioned earlier that Uncle Rob came forward to the Inquirer initially, which seems like a very disreputable source. Kevin Skinner actually knew Uncle Rob because Kevin Skinner was a former drug dealer in Newark. So he had a lot of dirt. I think it's the sort of what to need to catch a thief, you need a thief sort of mentality. Now, instead of suing for a managerial cut, the interesting thing was John Houston was seeking all 100 million from the contract. Many wonder why. Well, some saw this as his attempt to secure Whitney's money or whatever she was going to have left for her daughter because part of the terms of the suit was that 20% be immediately entered into an escrow style trust. So some say he was actually looking out for Bobby Christina at this point. Again, the move to sue your own daughter, a little strange. But also note at this point, John Hewson's health is starting to fade. Whitney was pulling away from her family professionally. As you mentioned earlier, she cut a lot of people. She reduced salaries. They actually took up residence in Buckhead, Georgia, which is a neighborhood outside Atlanta, at the Swiss Hotel, where, yeah, Bobby got arrested again. He gets caught for speeding, but this time he was caught with marijuana on his person. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say yeah. that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> we live in a state where it's legal and like we don't do it, but yeah. I'm just saying, seriously, yeah. like. Who, who speeds while they're smoking a bone? I'm, I'm I know. <laughs> Wouldn't that slow you down? I mean, <laughs> don't those people normally like struggle to reach the speed limit? <laughs> yeah, I know. You're driving behind them honking. Or, or even yeah. getting in the car. So, yeah. <laughs> And of course, 2002 is the year of the infamous interview with Diane Sawyer with the quote that will live in infamy, crack is whack. That comment was, of course, from Whitney herself, who sounded during the interview like she had laryngitis. And that was the claim that she stuck to. It's like the old, was it Colin Ray, that that's my story, I'm sticking to it? Yeah. 
Yep. Um, Sawyer asked Whitney in a very blunt question, what is the biggest devil in your life? Whitney's response, myself. She continued to deny any and all rumors of addiction. This was while they were staying at the hotel where uh, staff said that late night calls would come in requesting baking soda. Ah. Yeah. They uh, just needed to brush their teeth. Maybe they were making one of those volcanoes in science. Yeah, that, yeah, with the vinegar and stuff. Yeah, I'm they sure that's... Drug, druggily, forgive my ignorance, but yeah. why do you use baking soda? What, what... To cut the cocaine. To cut the cocaine. Yeah. Or, or can't you, if you're... And again, I've I've never I've never touched the stuff. Yeah. But is that not a, a how you cocaine and baking soda? Do you not cook that down to to crack like a rock? Yes. I, yeah, I don't know. I've heard of like baby laxatives, which is supposed to which are, help you poop. If you're if you're cooking a rock, doesn't that doesn't that entail cocaine and baking soda? That's the implication. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I seriously have no yeah, idea. Yeah, cocaine baking soda baking okay. into a rock. Because, like, I heard what was like the reason why we have to sign for a uh, Sudafed is because people were making meth with it. Yeah, because you you make meth out of Sudafed and match it to borax yeah. and whatever mm-hmm. else they throw in there. You know what I'm not putting in my body? That cleaning products. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let me let me let me let me, let me uh, fire up some forty mule team borax. Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> that yeah, sounds yeah. healthy. So during this interview, both Bobby and Bobby Christina show up. It does little to promote a wholesome family image. Bobby is sweating profusely, claiming he, quote, came back from a job. Bobby Christina looks totally out of place. One of the things they remarked was the fact that she had really crooked teeth, which was a weird thing to note, but I sort of, I guess it implied she needed dental work or something. Like, you don't give kids braces till they're like 14, 15, and because you got to lose all, how old is she now? Like, uh, this is 1990, this is 2002. So she was so like born in 10. nine or 10. Yeah. She's nine or 10. Yeah. You, you, nine or 10. Do they even, I, yeah, I know nothing about drugs yeah. or babies. So, uh, do babies still have their teeth at that point when they're nine? No, you've lost, I think you've lost most of your baby teeth by that time. Yeah. You have adult teeth. Yeah. But like, point. you don't, you don't, I don't really see nine-year-olds with braces, so how about give the kid a friggin' break? Yeah, maybe they're coming down hard on her. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, what they're what they're doing is coming down hard on the parents. Yeah. I think the implication yeah. there is there is some degree of neglect on your part because look at your kid's teeth. I think, I think that's, that's what the they probably say. Yeah. Uh, one one writer from the Miami Herald was quoted saying, "Houston said she doesn't think of herself as a drug addict while appearing frail and strung out. She has lost touch with reality." And of course, there is the, do you do crack, which Diane Sawyer all but basically asked. And Whitney's response was, crack is whack. Look at me, I'm rich. I wouldn't do crack. That was what she said during the interview. You can watch it on YouTube. The next year, Bobby was arrested again. After a quite embarrassing performance at the AMAs, where he seemed drunk or high, he went out in a vehicle in Los Angeles, which is again violating parole terms, and he was put back in jail all this time john houston lies dying he's in his her, 80s her father john houston her father lies dying and, and former manager and former manager right he's actually in the hospital more than out of it at this point he's working with an attorney named philip levitin on the lawsuit but he's quickly fading away and all this time whitney's seen about with bobby however on february 2nd 2003 John Houston passed away at the time of his death. His wife, Sissy, was there. His son, Michael, was there. His daughter, Whitney, was not. Mm. John's final words were, tell Whitney 
I forgive her. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> Whitney was wow. so shaken that she did not attend John's funeral. We talked about this with David Bowie, I remember. Right. And what's right and what's wrong. And certainly we are one to say, but the the sources say Whitney was just so distraught by the whole matter. She just, she just couldn't handle it. Just couldn't do it. In May, Whitney was seen at the Bellagio Hotel on Las in Las Vegas with Bobby, and the claim was they were partying all night, and by 8 a.m., Whitney had emerged with a severe nosebleed. She went to the hospital and was totally taped up with one of those nose gauzes. Oh, gotcha. Or whatever it is. Um, of course, Bobby is reaping all the blame for everything Whitney is going through, which sparked, as you put it, TJ, a very strange trip to Israel in 2003. So we're gonna look yeah. a little bit about where this, this, this is. This is just about rock bottom right here. Yeah, coming up so, right this second is about as rock bottom yeah. as it gets. Now the couple claimed it was a spiritual retreat with Bobby Christina, and for those of you who need the details on this, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed here. There is a small, if you can call it, town in the desert on the northern edge of the Red Sea that was basically claimed by this guy Ben Ami, who I believe is from Chicago. If research is correct. Uh, he is one of the believers that there is a sect of African-Americans that descended directly from the 12 tribes of Israel, which are, of course, the descendants of Jacob, according to the Bible. Now, his claim is that they have a right to this promised land and this town, Elot, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, Elot, forgive my pronunciation, is theirs and they stay there and they, you know, hold religious rituals. They baptize people in the Jordan River. Uh, the Israeli government, for the record, does not recognize this group. And in fact, they're viewing them sort of as squatters in the country of Israel. They don't take action against them, but they don't really include them. Does that make sense? It's a very odd arrangement. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, this was labeled as a spiritual retreat. And I remember Whitney gets baptized. She comes out saying, you know, she's born again. Everything's born anew and she has a new life now. But there was, many thought, a more insidious route to this plan. Some people believe that if Bobby continued to have legal troubles, and there was the risk that they could lose Bobby Christina to her parents or whoever to claim custody, the plan was to flee the country entirely and set up shop in this place. That was the rumor. Mm. Yeah. So this, this trip, like you said, TJ, is pretty much rock bottom because it was all over the news and it was everywhere. And you had Whitney, you know, saying about this whole spiritual retreat, there may have been a more uh, insidious plan. And, and, when, and I just, I, I have this image, Will the Thrill, and you've, you've probably mm -hmm. saw it, looked it up, researching for this episode. There was a, she walked off the plane and she just looked fried. Absolutely. She looked completely out of her mind. Um, and she's walking down like the steps onto the tarmac and she throws her arm out and screams like, this is my land mm -hmm. or something to that effect. And then but she just, I mean, I mean, I'm just being, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to say this. There's not a nice way to say it. She looked, she looked out of her mind. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she looked completely, completely baked on something. She also got baptized in the river Jordan correct. on that trip. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But so. I, I don't know if this was, I don't know if it's when they were leaving or when they arrived, but there was, I just, I have this vivid picture in my mind of her coming down the steps of an airplane and she just looks out of her mind, yeah, really. Yeah. And, and she screams and throws her arm out. This, this is my land. Yeah. It's, uh, that effect. And it was just really, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was upon arrival and she meets this guy, Ben Ami, and it's all this stuff. And yeah. You can watch it. There's all the stuff available on YouTube. In 2003, Whitney releases what I think is the 
sign that as a celebrity you have jumped the shark, a holiday album. Oh. Yeah, there's a holiday album. Here's the thing, kid. People just need to stop making holiday albums, <laughs> all right? The reason why is because inevitably they will suck. Yeah. And they're just rehashes. Now, well, El- Elvis' time- Christmas album was awesome. What's that? Elvis's Christmas album was awesome. No, no, no. That's fine. Up up until Petty, it was great. Because he yeah. did Christmas all over again. Yes, and, he did. And I am fine with For that. The, that was on the uh, Very Special Christmas 2, I think, wasn't it? The uh, green one. I can't remember if it was Very Special Christmas. But those, all Christmas music should have stopped being made <laughs> after Very Special Christmas. Because, the, no, stop. I feel, I feel like they're like, I have made my point on this. Like we I, you, you are not a fan of Christmas albums. I think we've established that, definitely. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of Christmas music. I'm not a fan of Christmas decorations. Bah humbug. I hate I, Christmas. I, just, I, I recall going back several months now, we're, we're riffing along and, and talking about the career of Joe Diffie, and we get it to, and then he made a Christmas album, and you're like, oh, God. There it is. <laughs> It is oh, like, it sucks! I hate that. It's 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 seriously like the things I hate the most are Phil Collins and Christmas music. If <laughs> so Phil Collins two, yeah. did a Christmas album, my head would explode. <laughs> That's like my personal hell. <laughs> Me sitting in a completely white room with no sweet tea, li- having to listen to Phil Collins sing about Christmas. Uh, hate how, this. how do you really hate feel? Everything. So. Needless to say, uh, the One Wish holiday album was panned. Rolling Stone gave it zero stars, which oh, I thought wow. they had to give it something. Yeah, I've seen like half star reviews and one star reviews. They gave it zero. zero. I've, I've never <laughs> seen a zero star review in Rolling yeah. Stone. That is a wow. Zero star, yep. Uh, John Parles of the New York Times had a few bright spots on the album. He said, you know, it was a chance for Whitney to kind of just sing and sing familiar songs. And he said one of the highlights was the inclusion of Bobby Christina, who Whitney brought in for a version of Little Drummer Boy. So one of the bright spots. See, on, that's acceptable. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Children doing it is okay. But when you are a grown woman, no, you've had a storied career at this point. Mm-hmm. Stop making your stupid Christmas albums. Well, I hate to say this, but it's about to get worse. Not many people know what, this. Did she put out an Easter album? No, she put out a reality show. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of my bread and butter. I can't. Yeah, really but this know. show. Yeah, I can't. So not many people know this, but Whitney and Bobby were trying to actually put a movie together for some time. And there was a proposed film called Buffy and Charlie. The whole thing got scrapped because in 2004, Bobby Brown was brought up on battery charges, actually against his wife. Uh, they had a dispute at their Georgia home where Bobby allegedly, allegedly I'm quoting here, hit Whitney in the face. Uh, people called the police, the police were dispatched to the residence, and Bobby was taken into custody. So that's the story. This didn't lead actually to the end of the marriage, yet. It did lead, though, to, uh, I, I hate talking about this, being Bobby Brown. Ugh. Yep, this show premiered in July of 2005. I'm gonna let Barry Guerin of The Hollywood Reporter do the talking, because his review of the show summarizes, I think, everything I feel, and perhaps many of you out there feel. Now, again, if you like the show, no, I'm going with it. You're just wrong. Let's go with what Barry Guerin says. Here is a direct quote. 
He called it, and I quote, the most disgusting and exorable series ever to ooze its way onto television. Ooze. Is it the lionizing of a lowlife convicted of failing to pay child support for his out-of-wedlock kids, drunk driving, and cocaine-related parole violations? Is it his insufferable ego? Is it his constant rude comments? Or is it just his disgusting persona? End quote. So how do they really Yeah, exactly. What do you think of the show? Well, I will think that this is something that everyone's been waiting for. In September of 2006, after 14 years of marriage, Whitney files for legal separation from Bobby Brown. 14 years. Oof. We all talked about things Bobby did. Uh, there was the affair, and here I, I had the name jotted down, TJ, a lady named Kareen Steffens, who allegedly was quite prevalent in this throughout the marriage. The full details, I don't have all the information, but her name did come up. Whitney also demanded full custody of their daughter, Bobby Christina. The divorce would take nearly one year to finalize. Now, when this was happening, everyone seemed to think Whitney was turning a corner. One of the first things she did was actually go back to Clive Davis and mend that fence. She actually appeared with him at the Ello Awards in 2006. She started booking shows in 2007-2008 on a comeback tour and committed a completely, I think, a trope of a rock star mistake. At a show in Tobago, she exclaimed, I love you, Trinidad! Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Her vocal problems were continuing. She realized during some performances, often midway, that she just couldn't hit the notes she used to hit. Songs like I Will Always Love You and I'm Every Woman... She was struggling. And again, this is in 2006, which by the end of that year saw the release of a DVD set, 1973 to 2005, the best of Manfred Mann's Earth Day. And there it is. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference (laughs) of the podcast has been satisfied. Oh, you're getting better. It at is. That. It's, yeah, it's going yeah, it's well. Thank you. Yeah, I just I, I want to make that last part as sketchy as I can. <laughs> yeah, you're getting really creepy. Are uh, you sure? Thank you. Hey, thanks. I, hey, thanks. I've been trying. I, I gotta practicing. admit, I was thinking about leaving a reference out because we did like four in the last episode. Technically, it was three. I know we how many. Three. I, I know how many air horns I put in. But uh, there it is. The episode, the reference to Man for Man's Earth Band, because I largely wanted to put it here. So later it just has no place trust me yeah um the family pressures are becoming more prevalent for whitney she and bobby were divorcing but bobby christina as often happens in divorce was a casualty of the separation it was alleged that she was going out with her friends and drinking heavily partying a lot she actually suffered a complete psychotic break in february of 2008 she was admitted to psychiatric care and it was alleged that she made a suicide attempt. And she's 15 at this point? She's 15 years old, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, Whitney would team up with Clive Davis for one last hurrah. Very similar to her first album, Whitney Houston, this one would be in production for a full two years. And the end result was I Look to You. Davis picked up right where they left off. He surrounded her with top talent from his then-label J Records. Because remember, he got ousted from Arista on complete BS, in my opinion. And Clive went on to bring in some artists. Maybe you've heard of them. Alicia Keys. Oh, yeah. Akon. Clive ever falling up, it seems. 
I um, mean, so like yeah. Monica and Rod Stewart, Liza Minnelli. Mm-hmm. Other talents he brought in. Yeah, just a I few mean, names. Are those, do you think those folks are ever going to make it? I don't know. That, that Luther Vandross guy, you think he's going to no, no. pass the test of time? Minnelli's not going anywhere. Yeah, she's Rod gonna, Stewart. Geez. She's going to try to turn on a lamp. So again, Clive is surrounding her with the best. And just, I wanted to inject this right now. Clive Davis, at the time of this recording, is still with us. But unfortunately, he's suffering from Bell's palsy. He is 89 years old and allegedly also suffering from dementia. Oh, gosh. Still, still hanging on at the time of this recording. Uh, production of the album, as I said, started in 2007. The album would be released in 2009. So it was a similar approach. Making appearances, do the shows, start releasing singles, all part and parcel of the deal. Uh, February of that year, 2007, she made a return to Davis's famed pre-Grammy party. Uh, her colleague, Akon, who worked with her on the record, called her voice still there, to which Houston responded with a smile, I never left. And that sort of became the theme of the duet they both did on that album called I Look to You. Aww. Yeah, they did a duet. I love that. The first songs of the album, now I'm using the term in quotes, leaked leaked in august of 2009 eh. i look to you somehow got out eh. i didn't know my own strength also got out and million dollar bill one of the signature singles from the album was released just after that the album finally hit in august of 2009 it released on the last day of august actually it was noted with Lit- Whitney's vocal limitations but the album was praised as being well produced and it did reach number 1 on billboard oh wow yeah so she got back that's great she did. But, uh, but but boy but how jarring to hear whitney houston and vocal limitations uh, yeah it's, it's a little in the same sentence i mean that's that's yeah yeah and sadly that would continue in the ensuing world tour now the tour was labeled a success financially they actually grossed 36 million on the tour it would have been 38 Whitney had to back out of shows in Australia and New Zealand, and Australia wanted their $2 million back. I mean, I could see that. So, yeah. She also started bailing on concerts in Europe, and there were, she appeared on stage uncomfortable and sweating, so once again, people are wondering, is she still hooked? Is she doing drugs? Sadly, it was confirmed that her daughter was. Bobby Christina was photographed using cocaine. The first appearance of this actually appeared in the Inquirer and was suspect to much scrutiny, but... It was confirmed that Bobby Christina was admitted to rehab by her mother. Her mother checked her into rehab. She was only 17 years old. Well, I mean, and how how super healthy mentally for somebody to have uh, you know, be 16 or 17 and have the press following them, taking pictures yeah, of what they're just, doing. Yeah. You know, I've always like this is even from the beginning of this podcast when you know we had the original TJ. I think everybody knows my stance on the paparazzi and how much I hate them and how much. I despise what they do. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the paparazzi, come at me. I don't even care. <laughs> they have killed people. They've damaged lives. They destroyed, you know, marriages and friendships. And they are just the worst. And, yeah. you know, you look what look what happened. I'm not saying that a 15-year-old should be doing cocaine. Mm. But I'm also saying maybe a grown, I'm going to say, man, just specifically because most most paparazzis are men i was gonna say grown men probably shouldn't be either taking a photo of a 15 year old or 17 (laughs) 17 year old or probably shouldn't be buying a picture of a 17 year old off of someone yeah it's creepy like it's creepy that's 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 the way that you make your your living you disgust me 
So that's what I'm going to say about that. So needless to say, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard because you look at how the press treated the situation and wonder, could it have been different? You know, could it have been different? We don't, we'll never know. Uh, the rumors that Whitney was broke were also making the tabloids. In fact, there were alleged phone calls to friends where she was, quote, begging for money. We all know that the record sales up to this point were not meeting projections. The tour was financially successful, so we don't really know. Nonetheless, Whitney planned to make an appearance in February 2012 with her friend Clive Davis, which takes us to the Beverly Hilton Hotel. On February 11th, Whitney had departed the gathering with Clive, fully prepared to get ready for the evening. No one really knows what happened. So what I'll share with you are the accounts that we could, we could locate. Around 3.25 p.m., a member of Whitney Houston's staff went in to check on her. They had a key to the room. They opened the door. They noticed that the bathroom was, someone was in there. They first noticed that the door was locked. They forced their way into the bathroom and found Whitney Houston in the bathtub, unconscious. At 3.55 p.m., Whitney Elizabeth Houston was pronounced dead. Mm. The coroner's report said that she did not, in fact, die from drowning. That was the original suspicion. They did a toxicology report, and it looks like that Whitney Houston took a dose of Xanax, alcohol, and a series of other prescription drugs. There, were, there was too little water in her lungs to actually kill her. So the implication is she took the substances, went into the tub, and actually died before the water would would take her. Whitney Houston was only 48 years old, which is just catastrophic. I mean, think about it. If, he, if she just had more time, she, she was already getting back on track, you know? Yeah. She was getting there. She's, and she's just six years older than us. Yeah. The initial response did come from the Houston family. Sissy was quoted as saying, we are devastated by the loss of our beloved Whitney. This is an unimaginable tragedy. We will miss her terribly. Bobby Brown was actually touring with New Edition at the time. He received word of the news, agreed to still go on stage, but broke down during his performance. Apparently, he fell to the ground, looked at the sky, and just screamed, I love you, Whitney, and couldn't continue. Their daughter, Bobby Christina, suffered a complete breakdown. She screamed with the police because they wouldn't let her into the room where her mother was. They had to pull her back. They admitted her to Cedar Cyanide Hospital and immediately put her on suicide watch. Needless to say, the Grammys continued, as they would, but they honored Whitney Houston. Whitney was transported by private plane from California the next day to her home state of New Jersey. Her final arrangements were handled by the Wingham Funeral Home in Newark, the same home that made preparations for her father, John. Whitney eschewed the burial of a celebrity style, say in Forest Lawn, and she was actually laid to rest in Fairfield Cemetery near Westfield, mm. next to her father. Sadly, in a matter of years, she would be joined at that same location by her daughter, Bobby Christina. Bobby suffered from pneumonia and was also found dead in a bathtub. She was 22 years old. Jesus. Man. The music world was at a loss. Friends and family devastated. Here are just a few of the comments that we found surrounding Whitney's departure. Barry Manilow saying, my heart goes out to her family, to Clive, and to everyone who knew her and loved this amazingly talented and beautiful artist. I will always love her. Her auntie, Ree, who was still with us at this point, said, I just can't talk about it. It's so stunning and unbelievable. My heart goes out to Sissy, Bobby Christina, her family, and Bobby. Musician, Can go I ahead. just say that it's very interesting that she separated her family and, and Bobby? Bobby? Yeah. Right. 
Usher said, R.I.P. Whitney Houston, a true icon of her time, gone too soon. Oprah Winfrey, Whitney was the voice. We got to hear a part of God every time she sang. The great Tony Braxton, my heart is weeping. R.I.P. to a legendary diva and icon, Whitney Houston. Celine Dion said, when I started my career, I wanted to be just like her. Think about that for a minute. Oh, yeah. Think about that. Author Mark Bago, who was, uh, his book was actually one of the key pieces of research for uh, this podcast you just heard, along with uh, Robin Crawford's book, A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston. Mark Bago sums his book up with one line, and it's, there will only be one Whitney Houston. The last quote I left is, of course, from Dolly Parton, who said at the time of Whitney's passing, I will always be grateful and in awe of the wonderful performance she did on my song. And I can truly say from the bottom of my heart, Whitney, I will always love you. We lost an icon when we lost Whitney Houston. And it's been tough for me to present this again. She's from my home state. She's buried half an hour from where I grew up. And we lost a tremendous talent. There's no way around it. So we'll leave you with some parting thoughts before we leave you with a final song from Whitney Houston, which I kind of had to figure out which one to play because I just didn't know which one. But uh, it's not, it's not easy. No, it's not. It's it's like picking your favorite child. There's so many beautiful things that she did through her, through her life. Yeah. I mean, I've always had Whitney Houston in my life. Mm-hmm. My mom would allow us to listen to Whitney Houston. You know, she was a style icon. She was beautiful. She had an incredible voice. She could take a song and make it transformative. And then to watch it, you know, kind of disintegrate over time was so incredibly sad. But the thing is, during those last, what, like year, year and a half, mm-hmm. as she was climbing back out, there is an old saying that says, Hollywood loves a comeback. Yeah. And that is so true. You just wanted to see her and her, you, you wanted to hear that beautiful voice again, see that face that had that sparkle in her eye. And, you know, it was taken from us way, way, way too soon. Yeah. And she was in the position where she was working with Clive Davis again with Alicia Keys. And I mean, just this talent is unbelievable. Like you said, she was climbing back out. Oh, it is just, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And the thing, the thing about what she had in her system is something that you can do accidentally. Sure. Sure. Oh, you're like, oh, I'll just take two Xanax and have a shot. Mm-hmm. You don't even think. Just like, calm down. Yeah. Just calm down. Like I need to calm my nerves. Like that, that, I don't know how many, how many Xanax she had in her system or, you know, the dosage, but like you can actually take, I've done this before is you take a pill and you, you know, like an hour later, you're like, did I take my pill? Sure. Yeah. I was on antibiotics last week mm-hmm. and there were times where I'd be like, did do you remember if I took it this morning? Yeah. And it just happens. You just accidentally take it. I'm just being devil's advocate and, here. I feel like. And, and you also look at the drugs she was taking. They're all for anxiety and depression. And yes. I mean, clearly what she was going through you know yeah yeah you just kind of look at at there's a, a period of time from about 1985 i guess till about 1993 or four so it's a bit it's about it's about an eight-year period where she was probably the most one of the most recognizable human beings on the planet easily yeah. and i mean she was she had been a model but then she is an absolutely adored lauded singer who almost universally everybody loved mm-hmm. um just universally recognized as just an unbelievable talent hey god looked at you and said this one's a singer 
mm-hmm. pretty much. Yep. Yep. Uh, that, that voice, there's just no other explanation for it. And then she was branching out in the movies. And, you know, you, you start in 85 with that first album, which, you know, was a big deal. And then the second one was even bigger. And then we get to 93 and the Bodyguard soundtrack sold 45 million copies. Insane. I, that's, I mean, I mean, really think about that. It, it outsold Saturday Night Fever. And, and I mean, it's the biggest soundtrack ever. And so now she's in a big movie. She, she's on top of the world. Yeah. And, and then it was just gone. Yeah. Yeah. And because for, for some reason in my mind's eye, she was a, a much bigger deal for a much longer time than she actually really was. Because yeah. she was there from the time I was 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, oh, wow, she, she was just a, 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 an, a, a, an enormous star in every respect, music, TV, movies, quiet my entire life. And you go back and look and you're like, no, it's really about eight years. And yeah. um, you just think, but look at the, the arc that she was on, the, the, like you said, the zenith that she reached. Mm-hmm. in about 1993 and then it it, it was just it, i don't even know how to explain it, it just a crater yeah. like like this rapid descent into nothingness and you can only what if yeah. but you say gosh what if she had not done some of the things that she did yeah that sure. robbed her of her talent and made her unreliable and made her a liability to where people didn't want to book her and didn't you know it just you just think she she was such a consummate professional and so talented and then she got to the point where people are like, eh, she's probably not worth messing with anymore. Yeah, don't want to risk it. It's really, I mean, it's incredibly sad to, to see that kind of talent go to waste. But And that we'll never know if, if that comeback was there. Yeah, you know? it's what could have been. It's just, uh. Yeah, it's, it'll always just be what could have been. Yeah. All right, well, that'll wrap us up for this series mm. on Whitney Houston. Great, a great series, Will. Very good job, sir. Very good, good. very Thank good. Thanks for coming with me on that one. I'll tell you, this one was, this brought back like good memories really I, I, okay this 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 particular episode this much. yeah but but the episode the, the four before that because you just think she was a part of all of our childhoods this is this was we we heard her playing in the background as we're growing up for you know for however long from the time you guys were six or seven years old you remember the girl next door the america's sweetheart the oh this this beautiful girl that sings the oh gosh she's got such a, an amazing voice and it, it actually reminded me you guys that the first song i ever called a radio station and requested was a whitney houston song nice <laughs> nice and, and that's that's really what i want our listeners to walk away with is you have this catalog you have her films you have all these things that represent the best of whitney houston and and that's really where she lives in our eyes, you know. Yeah, and let's and let's focus on that part. Yeah, and again, yeah. you have so much at your disposal. Again, all the albums, the movies, the you know, just just indulge in it. That's what I'm telling you. I went back to it, listened to it, had a wonderful time. That's for nostalgic reasons, but there's no reason why someone new can't walk in and enjoy that for the same, you know, for maybe different reasons, but still enjoy it. Yeah. Well, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for the series on Whitney Houston, like uh, TJ said. Excellent job. Uh, next week, we'll be starting a series on Dusty Springfield, somebody who you might know their name, but might not know exactly hmm. how prolific they actually are. So uh, please join us. I will be at the helm for that. So uh, please join us next week, where we will be talking about the lovely Miss Dusty Springfield. And uh, so if you guys think we're doing a great job, please uh, head on over to Patreon and tell us how much you love us by throwing us some coins. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can check us out on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. 
our Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. I'm still not saying our website. <laughs> and you can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. That's R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-H-E-A-V-E-N-L-T at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, from all of us here at uh, Rock and Roll Heaven, to all of you guys out there in Radio Land, this is LD signing off. TJ, TJ, you want to say goodbye? Uh, Bye, everybody. (laughs) And so, in the spirit of what we said of celebrating Whitney for the best of Whitney, I say we go back to that era. The song I'm going to close out with is one from the Whitney Houston album, the one that made such an impact and was used in a biopic about Muhammad Ali. This one is by Whitney Houston. It is the greatest love of all. And I think I speak for the fans, family, and those close to Whitney by saying, we will always love you, Whitney. Thank you. I believe the children are future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. So I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 